Chapter Two, Part Two of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume Ten, Ingersoll's Closing Address to the Jury in the First Star Route Trial, Part Two of Seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Part Two. Let us take the next route, 38135. What do we do in that, according to the indictment? And now, gentlemen, recollect, they wrote this indictment. You would think we did, but we didn't. They wrote it, and they are bound by it. But if I had been employed on behalf of the defendants to write it, I should have written it just in that way. First, sending and filing a false oath when did we send it when did we file it on the twenty-sixth day of june that is what the indictment says what does the evidence say april eighteenth eighteen seventy nine now that is the end of that it was a true oath but that does not make any difference that oath is gone that has been sworn out of the case and dated out of the case. What is the next? Second, filing false petitions. When did we file them? The 26th day of June, 1879. The last petition was filed the 8th of May, 1879, and it does not make one particle of difference whether these dates were before or after the conspiracy as set forth but as a matter of fact every one of the petitions was true that charge is gone a fatal variance what is the next fraudulent order that of june twentieth there was never the slightest evidence introduced to show that it was a fraudulent order not the slightest and what is the next charge fraudulently filing a subcontract and right here I stop to ask the court, of course not expecting an answer now, but in the charge to the jury, is it possible to defraud the government of the United States by filing a subcontract? Now, gentlemen, I want you to think of it. How would you go to work to defraud the government by filing a subcontract? If the subcontract provides for a greater amount of pay than the government is giving the original contractor, the government will not pay it. It will only pay up to the amount that it agreed to pay the contractor. It is like A giving an order to B to pay C what A owes B. He need not pay him any more. That is all and if the ingenuity of malice can think of a way by which the government could be defrauded by the filing of a subcontract, I will abandon the case. It is an impossible, absurd charge, something that never happened and never will happen. Well, that is the end of this route, with one exception. This is the agate route. This is the route where thirty dollars, it is claimed, has been taken from the government. It is that route. You remember the productiveness of that post office? They established an office, and nobody found it out except the fellow that was postmaster. 
and in his lonely grandeur i think he remained about eighteen months and never sold a stamp that is all that is left in that route that order putting agate upon the route and taking it off and then giving one month's extra pay that is all another child washed three eight one three five that is all there is to that route no evidence except epithets no testimony except abuse if anything is left under that it is simply robber thief pickpocket that is all now we come to another route and i again beg pardon for calling attention to these little things the government has forced us to do it it is like a lawsuit among neighbors each is so anxious to beat the other they begin to charge for things that they never dreamed of at the time they were delivered they will charge for neighborly acts time lost in attending the funeral of members of each other's family before they get through the lawsuit so the government started out in this case and not finding a great point had to put it in little ones and we have to answer the kind of points they make four one 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 nine overt acts first filing a false oath when did we file it the twenty-fifth day of june the indictment says who filed it peck and minor well when was it filed or when was it transmitted according to their story june twenty third eighteen seventy nine this oath is marked eight c and an effort was made to prove by a man by the name of blois that it was a forgery that was objected to first that it was not charged to be forged in the indictment and second that a notary public had already sworn that it was genuine and that he could not be impeached in that way and thereupon that oath was withdrawn and you will never hear of it any more i do not know whether it is true or not that is found on record page one four six nine now recollect that oath was withdrawn that is the end of it second filing false petitions when were they filed july eighth eighteen seventy nine and it turned out that the charge was true with two exceptions first that they were not filed at that time and second that all the petitions were true that is the only harm about that charge third a fraudulent order made by brady july eighth now let us see what the fraud consists in the fraud is claimed to be in a expediting to thirty-three hours when the petition only called for forty-eight you remember the charge expediting to thirty-three hours when the petition only called for forty-eight now let us see it is claimed that to grant more than the petitions ask is a crime certainly it must be admitted that to grant less is equally a crime the only evidence now of fraud in this is that he was asked to expedite the forty-eight hours but he expedited to thirty-three that is to say he violated the petitions 
and if that is good doctrine then the petitions must settle whether expedition is to be granted or not if that is good doctrine there is no appeal from the petition i do not believe that doctrine gentlemen i believe it is the business of the post office department to grant all the facilities to the people of the united states that the people need he must get his information from the people and from the representatives of the people and while he is not bound to give all they ask if he does give what the people want and what their representatives endorse you cannot twist or torture it into a crime that is what i insist now the only charge is here and while they asked for forty-eight hours he gave thirty-three that is the only crime did he pay too much for it there is no evidence of it before i get through i will show you that there is no evidence that he ever paid a dollar too much for any service whatever now then if the doctrine contended for by the government is correct then a petition is the standard of duty and the warrant of action and if they gain upon this route they lose upon every other route let us examine there are three charges first false petitions they were all true second false oaths they offered to prove it and then withdrew it third that while the petitions called for forty-eight hours he granted thirty-three and before you can find that that was fraudulent you must understand the precise connections that this mail made with all others and it was incumbent upon them to prove not an inference but a fact that there was not only reason but reason in money sound reason for expediting it instead of forty-eight to thirty-three that is the end of that route there is not a jury on earth let it be summoned by prejudice and presided over by ignorance that would find a verdict of guilty upon the testimony in that route it is impossible another child gone four four one five five let us see what we get there and i have not got to my client yet first filing false petitions by peck minor vale and rodell when on the twenty seventh of june eighteen seventy nine were they false let us see mr bliss speaking of these petitions contained in a jacket held in his hand dated the twenty ninth of june eighteen seventy nine record page six eighty seven said quote, we do not attack the genuineness of these petitions end quote that is the end of that so much for that second a fraudulent order increasing service and yet all the petitions are admitted to be genuine and the order was in accordance with the petitions on the route before the order was fraudulent because it was not in accordance with the petitions and in this route it is a fraud because it is in accordance with the petitions now just take it here is the route every petition is genuine the oath is true not a petition attacked 
the order in accordance therewith, and the only evidence that the order is a fraud, is that it was in accordance with genuine petitions, recommended by the people and by the representatives of the people. That is all. Let me tell you another thing. Expedition had been granted on the route long before, and this was simply an increase of trips, and no charge was made that the order granting the expedition ever was a fraud. Third, another fraudulent order by Brady of April 17, 1880, and it turns out that this order was in fact made by French. That was the only evidence that it was fraudulent, but the mere fact that French made it takes it out of the case, and you have no more right to consider it than you would an order made in the Treasury Department. The only objection to this order now is what? That it was in violation of the petitions. How? That it took off one or two of the trips. That was the fraud of the order of April 17, 1880. The fraud consisted in taking off two or three trips that had been put on. Now, let us see. The next fraudulent order was July 16, 1880. What was that for? For putting the service back precisely as it was. Now, I want you gentlemen to understand that, every one of you. Here is a charge in the indictment of a fraudulent order that took off, say, two trips from the service. That is a fraud, they say. Then the next order put those two trips back, and that, they say, is another fraud. It would have been very hard to have made an order in that case to have satisfied the government. It was an order to decrease it. It was an order to put it back where it was. That is, it was a fraud. Consequently, it was a fraud to do anything about it. That is all there is in that case. Let us boil it down. False petitions. That is the charge. The evidence is that the petitions are all true. A false oath is the charge. The evidence is that the oath is true. A fraudulent order decreasing the service, another fraudulent order increasing the service, that is, leaving it just where he found it. In other words, according to this indictment, Brady committed a fraud in reducing the trips, and another fraud by putting the trips back. I think it was only one trip that he reduced. Now, that is all there is in that case. People may talk about it one day or one year. That is all there is, and that is nothing. 38145. Fraudulently filing what? A subcontract with J. L. Sanderson. I say you cannot fraudulently file a subcontract against the government. It is an impossibility. Besides all that, Mr. Sanderson filed his own subcontract. There is no evidence that anybody else did file it or present it for filing. It was not our contract. It was Sanderson's subcontract. How comes that in this indictment? Let me tell you. In the first indictment, they had Sanderson, and when they copied that first indictment, 
with certain variations to make this, they forgot this part and put in the fraudulent filing of Sanderson's contract. It never should have been in this case. It has not the slightest relationship. The real charge of fraud in this route is that a retrospective order was made, and this order bore date February 26, 1881, and was retrospective in this, that it was to take effect from the 15th of January, 1881. But understand me, this was Sanderson's route. He received that money, and it has nothing to do with us. Still, I will answer it. That retrospective order gave pay from the 15th of January, 1881. Now, it seems that before the order of February 26, an order had been made by telegraph, dated 15th of January, 1881, to Sanderson, and this telegraphic order was for daily service on 89 miles. The jacket order of February 26, 1881, was for daily service on the whole route from January 15, 1881. If that order had been carried out, he would have received pay for daily service on the whole route, instead of for daily service on the 89 miles to which he was entitled. It turned out that the order of February 26, 1881, was signed by Postmaster General Maynard. The only possible charge is that Sanderson received pay for a daily service on the whole route from January 15, 1881 to February 26, 1881, instead of 89 miles. But we find in the table of payments introduced by the government that for that quarter a deduction was made of three thousand four hundred and twenty two dollars and nineteen cents showing that the department could only have paid for the daily service on the eighty-nine miles and that is exactly what the daily service would come to on the balance of the route that ends that route we had nothing to do with it anyway it was sanderson he filed his own contract he got his own orders he collected his own money and settled with the department. We have nothing to do with it, and we will bid it farewell. The next is number 38156. First, filing false oath, June 12, 1879. The oath was filed May 6, 1879. That is the end of that. I do not care whether it is true or false that is, so far as this verdict is concerned. I care whether it is true or false, so far as my clients are concerned, but so far as this verdict is concerned, it makes no difference. There is a fatal variance. Second, it is alleged that Brady made a fraudulent order June 12, 1879. The order of June 12, 1879, was made by French. There is another fatal variance. You have no right to take it into consideration. French is not one of the parties here. Third, sending a subcontract of Dorsey and filing it. As I told you before, 
you cannot by any possibility thus defraud the government, not even if you set up nights to think about it. There is no proof that the subcontract was a fraud. Let us have some sense. It is an absolute impossibility to commit this offense, and therefore we will talk no more about it. Fourth, the fraudulent order of Brady increasing the distance four miles. This was done on the 20th of December, 1880. That is the only real charge in this route. I turn to the record and find from the evidence, on page 943, that the distance was from five to six miles, according to the government's own proof. Beside all that, the order of which they complain is not in the record. It was never proved by the government, and never offered by the government, so far as I can find. That is the end of that route. The only charge in it is that they increased the distance four miles, and the evidence of the government is that it was from five to six. The next is 46132. Overt Acts filing a false oath by everybody june twenty four eighteen seventy nine the evidence shows it was filed april eleventh eighteen seventy nine that is the end of that no matter whether it is true or false it is gone second the fraudulent filing of a subcontract well i have shown you that that cannot be fraudulent the subcontract of Vale shows that Vale was to receive 100%. It was executed April 1st, 1878, in consequence, as my friend General Henkel explained, of a conspiracy made on the 23rd of May following. The service commenced July 1, 1878. There could have been no fraud in it. It was filed, as a matter of fact, May 24, 1879, and not June 4th. Even if it had been a fraud, which is an impossibility, the description is wrong and the variance is fatal. There is no evidence that any order was fraudulent. Every one in this case is supported by petitions, and every petition is admitted to be honest or proved to be honest and genuine. There is no proof at all, and not the slightest attempt on the part of the government, to prove that there was any fraud on this route. So much for that. Number 46247 Let us see just where we are. First, filing false and forged petitions. When? July 26, 1879. By whom? By Peck, Dorsey, and Rodell. Now, after they had solemnly written that in the indictment, and after it had been solemnly found to be fact by the grand jury, the attorneys for the government came into court and admit, during the trial, that all the petitions upon this route were genuine. Every one. It was admitted, I say, that every petition was genuine. Read from page 1008 of the record, and there you will find what the court said about these very petitions. Quote, 
I shall take the responsibility of dispensing with the reading of petitions when there is no point made with regard to them. End quote. The petitions were so good, they were so honest, they were so genuine, they were so sensible, that the curiosity of the court was aroused to find what on earth they were being read for on the part of the prosecution. You remember it. Every one, genuine, honor, bright, from the first line to the last. In reply to the court at that time, Mr. Bliss said, quote, There is no point made as to the increase of trips. These, meaning the petitions, relate to the increase of trips. There is no point made there. End quote. It is thus admitted that every petition was genuine. Second, a fraudulent order increasing one trip. This order was never proved by the government. It was not even offered by the government, so that the route stands in this way. First, a charge of false petitions. Second, an admission that the petitions were all genuine. Third, a charge that a fraudulent order was made. Fourth, no proof that the order was made. That is all there is to that, and that is the end of it. Number 38134 First, sending false and fraudulent petitions and filing the same. When? July 8, 1879. On page 1031 of the record, I find the following. Quote, Mr. Bliss, the petitions under your honor's ruling I am not going to offer. End quote. Why? Because they were all genuine. The court had mildly suggested the impropriety of the government proving its case by reading honest petitions. Consequently, when it came to this, the next route, he said, quote, the petitions under your honor's ruling I am not going to offer. End quote. Why? Because they are all honest, and under a charge in the indictment that they are all fraudulent, he did not see the propriety of reading them. That is what he meant. This remark was made because the government admitted these petitions to be honest. When were these petitions filed? The indictment says July 8. The evidence says May 6. So that if every petition had been a forgery, you could not take them into consideration on this route. It is charged that Miner and Company signed and placed in Brady's office a false oath on July 8. On record, page 1032, it appears that it was filed May 8, 1879, and not as described in the indictment. The pleader has the privilege of describing it right, or describing it wrong. If he describes it right, it can go in evidence. If he describes it wrong, it cannot go in evidence, and they have no right to complain if you throw out evidence that they make it impossible for you to receive. It has been charged with regard to this affidavit that Dorsey was not at that time contractor, and therefore had no right to make the affidavit. 
The affidavit was made April 21, 1879, and the regulation that such affidavits must be made by the contractors was made July 1, 1879. That is a sufficient answer. The next charge is a fraudulent order made by Brady, July 8. The petitions were all admitted to be genuine. There was no evidence that the order was not asked for by the petitions. There was no evidence that the order in and of itself was fraudulent, not the slightest. There is nothing like taking these things up as we go and seeing what the government has established. I know that you want to know exactly what has been done in this case, and you want to find a verdict in accordance with the evidence. Route 38140. Overt Acts. First, making, sending, and filing false petitions. When were they made and sent? The 23rd day of May, 1879. There were some petitions filed May 10, 1879, and there was a letter of the same date. They are misdescribed. They are all genuine, but they are out of the case as far as this is concerned. I will tell you after a while where they are applicable in this case. A letter of Belford of April 29, 1879, and a letter of Senator Chaffee of April 24, 1879, we have, while the indictment charges that they were all filed May 23, 1879. There is an absolute and fatal variance. All these petitions, however, are admitted to be genuine and honest. See records, pages 1001 to 1003. The charge in the indictment is that they were forged, false, and altered. The admission in open court by the representatives of the government is that they were genuine and honest. There is the difference between an indictment and testimony. There is the difference between public rumor and fact. There is the difference between the press and the evidence. The next is that a false oath was filed by John W. Dorsey on the 23rd of May, 1879. When was that oath filed? April 30th, 1879. A fatal variance. Yet the man who wrote the indictment had the affidavit before him. Why did he not put in the true date? I will tell you after a while. Did he know it was not true when he put it in the indictment? He did, undoubtedly. Third, fraudulent order of May 23rd, reducing the time from nineteen and three-quarter hours to twelve hours. As a matter of fact, no order was made on the 23rd of May upon this route. It is charged in the indictment that it was made on the 23rd of May. The evidence shows that it was on the 9th of May. There is a fatal variance, and that order cannot be considered by this jury as to this branch of the case. Here is an order of which they complain. They charge that it was made on the 23rd day of May the same day the conspiracy was entered into. As a matter of fact, it was made on the 9th of May. 
on this description it goes out and it goes out on a still higher principle that an order could not have been made on the ninth of may in pursuance of a conspiracy made on the twenty-third of that month but i am speaking now simply as to the description of this offence fourth a subcontract was fraudulently filed i have shown you it is impossible to fraudulently file a contract utterly impossible all the agreements imaginable between the contractor and the subcontractor cannot even tend to defraud the government of a solitary dollar i make a bid and the contract is awarded to me at so much the mail has to be carried the government pays say five thousand dollars a year it makes no difference to the government who carries the mail under that contract so long as it is carried it is utterly impossible to defraud the government by contracting with a b c or d that is the end of that route the order itself is misdescribed and that is all there is in it when the order is gone everything is gone number three eight one one three overt acts fraudulently filing a subcontract we do not need to talk about that any more. Second, Brady fraudulently made an order for increase of trips. The evidence is that an increase was asked for by a great many officers, a great many representatives, and by hundreds of citizens, and that the increase was insisted upon not only by the officers who were upon the ground, but by General Sherman himself. I do not know how it is with you, but with me, General Sherman's opinion would have great weight. He is a man capable of controlling hundreds of thousands of men in the field, a man with the genius, with the talent, with the courage, and with the intrepidity to win the greatest victories, and to carry on the greatest possible military operations. I would have nearly as much confidence in his opinion as i would in the guess of this prosecution in my judgment i would think as much of his opinion given freely as i would of the opinion of a lawyer who was paid for giving it general sherman has been spoken of slightingly in this case but he will be remembered a long time after this case is forgotten after all the engaged in it are forgotten and even after this indictment shall have passed from the memory of man number three eight one five two overt acts fraudulent orders of august third eighteen eighty discontinuing the service and allowing a month's extra pay for the service discontinued that is all may it please your honor in this route the only point is had the postmaster general the right to discontinue the service and if he did discontinue it was he under any obligation to allow a month's extra pay? It is the only question. I call your honor's attention to the case of the United States against Reside, 8 Wallace, 38. Fullenwider against the United States, 9 Court of Claims, 403. And Garfield against the United States, 3 Otto, 242.
in those cases it is decided not only that the postmaster general has the right to allow this month's extra pay but he must do it that is in full settlement of all the damages that the contractor may have sustained the court can see the very foundation of that law for illustration i bid upon a route of one thousand miles i am supposed to get ready to carry the mail five hundred miles are taken from that route the law steps in and says that for that damage i shall have one month's extra pay on the portion of the route discontinued it makes no difference whether i have made any preparation or not the law gives me that and no more if i should go into the supreme court and say that my preparations had cost me fifty thousand dollars and the month's extra pay was only five thousand dollars i have no redress for the other forty five thousand dollars that is all that is charged in this instance and if the second assistant postmaster general or anyone else has done differently he would have acted contrary to law he is indicted for doing in this case exactly what is in accordance with the law let us get to the next route that is all there is in this number three eight zero one five overt acts sending a false oath when may twenty one the evidence shows that on may fourteen it was sent on may fifteen it was filed a fatal variance no matter whether it is true or false the oath is gone that is the end of it what else they did not show that the oath was false first it is misdescribed in the indictment as to the date it is filed second the evidence shows that it is honest and genuine which is also fatal that is the end of this route as far as the indictment is concerned second that dorsey made and rodell filed false petitions there is no proof that any of the petitions were false no proof that any were forged and no proof that john w dorsey or m c rodell had anything to do with that route one way or the other all the petitions on record page eleven sixty are admitted to be genuine except one one petition asking for a ten-hour schedule was attacked and only one but this petition was filed may fourteen eighteen seventy nine and that is out so far as the indictment is concerned the court what is the date of the indictment mr ingersoll the twenty-third day of may the indictment says that this was filed july tenth eighteen seventy nine the evidence says may fourteen eighteen seventy nine a fatal variance it is not the same one they were talking about they did not find the petition they described it is their misfortune now here is only one petition attacked who attacked it mr shaw see page eleven fifty nine they were going to show that that was a forgery and they were going to show it by shaw 
That was the only one they attacked. What does Shaw say? Quote, I signed a petition for increase of service and expedition upon that route, but I did not read the petition. If I had, I should have discovered a ten-hour schedule. End quote. He would not have discovered it if it had not been there, would he? That shows it was there. Quote, I would not have recommended a ten-hour schedule on a seventy-mile route. End quote. He was the man that was going to prove that ten hours was not there. But it shows that he was not able to do it, because he first swore that he never read it, and, second, that he would not have signed it if he had. Goodbye, Mr. Shaw. That is all there is as to that matter. The court will understand I am going now upon what is in the indictment, and not what has been thrown in from the outside. The Court. I understand that. Mr. Ingersoll. I am going according to the strict letter of this indictment. I am holding these gentlemen to the law. That is what the law is for. You cannot come into this court and throw seven or eight cords of paper at a man and say, You are guilty. They have managed this case after that fashion, but I propose to bring them back to the law. Route 35051 First, signing, sending, and filing false petitions. When? August 2, 1879. There is no evidence of any petitions being filed on that day, none whatever. The only thing near it is a letter of Frederick Billings on record, page 1217. This letter was dated July 31, 1879. Under the charge of signing, sending, and filing false petitions, the only evidence is that a man by the name of Billings wrote a letter, and there is not the slightest testimony to show that a solitary word in that letter was false, not one. Nothing to connect it with Mr. Billings. No evidence that he ever spoke to him on the subject. No evidence that Billings knew who was carrying the mail. No evidence that he ever knew or did a thing except to write that letter. And he was interested, I believe, in the Northern Pacific Railroad. Now that is everything there is there. That is all there is in that case. Nobody has tried to show that the letter of Billings was not true. What else? A fraudulent order of August 1879. Who made it? The indictment says Brady made it. The evidence says it was signed by French, and it was in accordance with Billings's letter. Is there any fraud now in that route? Let us be honest. False petitions. Not one filed. False oath. Not one attacked. Simply a letter that we did not write and that there is no evidence that we ever asked to have written. That is the end of that, but they cannot even get the letter in, gentlemen. They did not describe it right. The next route is 40104. Over facts, 
First, fraudulently filing a subcontract. That you cannot do. When did we file it? July 23, 1879, the indictment says. What does the evidence say? May 8, 1879. First, we could not commit the offense. Secondly, you could not prove it under this description. Second, filing a false oath. When did we file it? July 23rd. That is what the indictment says. What does the evidence say? November 26th, 1878. A fatal variance. See record, page 1305. That is the end of that. The indictment is for something. You have got to follow it. And it certainly is not as hard work to write an offense against a man as it is to prove it. If they cannot write an offense, you certainly ought not to find the man guilty. Besides all that, that oath was not even impeached. It was not ever attacked. There was not a word said upon the subject except in the indictment. It was charged to be false and not one word of evidence was offered to this jury to show that it was false. Third, an alleged fraudulent order of increase by Brady, July 23, 1879. Brady never signed any such order. It was signed by French. That is the end of it, no matter whether it was good or bad, honest or dishonest. That is the end of it and yet there is not a particle of evidence to show that it was dishonest. But you must hold them to their own case as they have written it, and not as they wish it was now. Fourth, a fraudulent order of April 10, 1880, allowing one month's extra pay on the service reduced. This order was not even proved by the government. As a matter of fact, it was not offered by the government, and if it had been offered, and if it had been proved, it would have only established the fact that Mr. Brady acted in accordance with law. End of Ingersoll's Closing Address to the Jury in the First Star Route Trial, Part 2 of 7 Read by Roger Moline